Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Tonight's reading can be found on page 606 um, of the Bible in front of you, and it's the whole of Psalm 104. That's page 606. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys, to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The the, birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, and the stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the connies. The moon marks off the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you form to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. 
Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, praise the Lord. Well, as we stand, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the one who has revealed yourself. And we thank you that as we come to meet you in your word, you will open our eyes. You will help us not only to meet you, but to see more of who you are, to see you as you really are. So please, dear Father, we pray, open our eyes, move our hearts, that as we meet you, we would indeed fall upon our knees and give you the glory and worship that is due to you alone. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please do take a seat and be turning back uh, to Psalm 104. I think it's page 606 in your Bibles. Psalm 104, page 606. to start with a question and uh, it should come up behind me. How great is the Lord God in your eyes? We've just been singing how great is our God but just how great is the Lord and how great is he to you? Just pause for a moment, consider the life that you live and the place that he has in it. For example, do you involve him in decisions about life on a day-to-day basis? Or do you only involve him when you feel out of your depth? You know, the moment when you sort of uh, turn to him like you might to a reference book on on a shelf, which is left untouched until you feel as if you need some advice. Put it another way, do you depend on him to put food on the table water in the tap, and the air in your lungs. How great is the Lord in your eyes? Your answers will reveal how great you think he is. And I guess if we're really honest with us, uh, most of us, if not all of us, will realise that we do not see him as he really is. And therefore we do not treat him appropriately. What's clear though, from Psalm 104, is that the psalmist has done just that. And that is why he begins the psalm as he does. He says, verse 1, Praise the Lord, O my soul. And he ends it the same way. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And what lies between those two bookends of praise is the reason why he praises the Lord as he does. And why you and I can and should join with him in that. I say should. Because the Lord's greatness isn't a subjective thing. It's an objective fact. Something that doesn't depend on how great we see that he is. But on how great he really is. Uh, Just take the feats of some of the Olympic champions in the Winter Olympics this year. Take for example uh, Lizzie Yarnold who won gold in the women's skeleton. Uh, She won the competition by a country mile. By a whole second. She was clearly, uh, if you saw what she did, going head first on nothing more than a tray down a bobsleigh track. I mean, she deserves a gold medal just for getting to the bottom of it. But she was clearly the greatest that there was there. Regardless of what I think, 
I could not do what she did. And nor could any of you, nor could any of those competitors that were up against her. Otherwise, they would have got the gold medal. You see, we have no problem recognizing her greatness. But when it comes to recognizing God's greatness and giving him the praise that is due to him, then we do. And that is what this psalm is addressing by taking us on a grand tour of creation to show us the Lord's qualifications and worthiness to be praised with all our souls. But why does this matter? Well, it's because when we lose sight of the Lord as he really is, sin and rebellion against him follow. That's why this was such a key psalm to the uh, Israelites in exile. And it's a key psalm for us too. Because each of us has to some degree, if we're going to be honest with ourselves and honest with God, each of us to some way rebels against him. And so we will find this psalm is the Lord's prescription for us to restore a right vision of him. Just as it has been for his people throughout the centuries. This psalm here is here to open our eyes to him so that we're drawn back to him or drawn deeper into him. So that through repentance and faith in him, as he really is, each of us may join the psalmist in praising the Lord, our God, with all our souls. The one whom we know personally, as the, as the writer of this psalm does. Psalm 104 then opens our eyes to the personal Lord God, who's personally at work in creation. Who's deeply committed to creation and who's intimately involved in it today. So let's plunge into the main body of this psalm, and let's meet him also. And the first thing we meet is that the Lord is very great over all creation, verses 1 to 4. The Lord is very great over all creation. In these opening four verses, the psalmist paints a picture of just how great the Lord is over everyone and everything. It's a picture of unrivaled greatness, which no one can get close to. If you think you can, think again. Our world leaders and important people throughout time have tried to show their greatness by how they dress and the places and the palaces that they live in. But they are insignificant in comparison to the Lord. Verse 1, praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. Why does he say that? Well, just listen how he goes on. He says, he, that's the Lord, clothes himself with splendor and majesty. He puts on splendor and majesty as you and I would put on a coat. He doesn't wear things that give that impression. Splendor and majesty are part of his wardrobe. Verse 2. He wraps himself in light like a garment. The Lord picks up light as you or I might pick up a shirt. He does what he likes with light. And you and I are dependent on light. And then into the second half of verse 2, we're told that he stretches out heavens like a tent. He stretches out them out like you or I might stretch out a tent from decathlon. But of course, we could never find a tent the size of the heavens. And if we could, we could not stretch it out. 
Verse 3, he makes the upstairs of his home, if we can call it a home, on the heavens, like you and I would put the upstairs of our home on rafters. Here's a picture of a small wee place locally, uh, Chatsworth House, just in case uh, you haven't seen it yet. It's very impressive. It's got over 300 rooms, and that means there are lots and lots of rafters. And uh, this last week, I was curious to find out just how many bedrooms there were. I thought it might help us. I mean, most of us may have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bedrooms. And so I phoned up Chatsworth just to find out if the person on duty knew. They could not tell me, and they have still to get back to me. Maybe you know. I don't know. But you see, the point is that massive though Chatsworth is, and impressive though the Duke and Duchess of Devonshire are, the upper chambers of his place are nothing compared to the lords that are laid on the heavens. Once again, we see just how awesome and how great and very great our God really is. And it doesn't stop there. Verses 3 and 4 continue. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, or the angels his messengers, flames of fire his servants. The Lord uses the clouds and the winds like a private jet. The Lord makes the winds or the angels, the lightning his servants and messengers. He is master over the weather. We're at the mercy of it, and recent weeks have just shown that. Just in case we try to explain all this away as poetic license, let's remember that the Lord God came in person into our world as the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 4 verses 35 to 41 tell us that with a word he calmed a huge storm. The waves went flat calm. The wind stopped just like that. He's done it in person. And then uh, Hebrews 1 verse 7 quotes this verse and it does show, just again to show that Jesus is far greater than any angel or messenger of the Lord because he is the Lord himself. Something that we've just been saying in the creed together from Colossians 1, 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God and let's not forget it. Here then we see that the Lord God is very great over all. And the question is, have we seen that he is very great over you and I too? Because that will mean that we will stop wearing the crown that is rightly his. For some of us, it may be the first time that we've seen this. And perhaps we need to to give the Lord the place that is rightfully his over all of our lives. By letting him be our God, our Lord God. For most of us here though, He's our Lord already. Perhaps we need to check our lives to see how we have reserved areas of our lives for ourselves. To see those areas for what they are. And hand them over to him also. Because each of us will in some way need to respond to the Lord who is very great over all creation. And that includes you and me. Now, in one sense, that should be enough for us to see, shouldn't it? But the psalmist goes on to show us more, and next he reveals the Lord's very great work in creation. This is our second main point tonight, and it's in verses 5 through to 30. The Lord's very great work in creation. 
Now in this uh, long central section of the psalm, we find the psalmist reveals that the Lord is at work in creation in four key ways, four very great ways. He sets creation in place, he sustains all life, but more than that, he gives creation purpose and he gives life and life after death. And as we go through this central section of the psalm, we're going to hear echoes of the Lord's creation at the beginning of time in Genesis 1 and 2, a perfect creation. But we'll also be confronted with echoes of a broken creation, Genesis chapter 3 onwards, caused by mankind's rebellion against our creator and his judgment of us. And that will be a painful and a constant reminder of our need to see the Lord God for who he really is and what happens when we don't. And as we do all of that, we'll be drawn once again to the Lord Jesus, the one whom Colossians 1 verse 16 reminds us created us for himself. And the one, Colossians 1 verse 20 reminds us, went to his death to reconcile us to himself. So let's look at the Lord's very great work in creation. And let's see the first of uh, four short subpoints. And the first is this. Uh, the Lord set creation in place, verses five to nine. Looking down through these uh, verses, we can see that the creation of the world wasn't by chance. It was by his will and purpose. His hand at work, his voice of command. Verse 5, we're told that he set the earth on its foundations, never to be moved. Verse 6, he, he covered it. You can see how he's always the one that's working here. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. Verse 7, at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. And verse 8, where did they flee to? They went to the place that the Lord assigned for them. Verse 9, you set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. Here we see the Lord's greatness and power in creation. Everything set in place by him. And we can't even get close to what he's done. Uh, I hope that uh, you may have seen some of the recent devastation by the seas and rivers. And if that's taught you anything... If that's taught us anything, it is that we are not God. We cannot control the weather. We can't even predict it. Only the Lord can. And he sets its boundaries as he does for the rest of creation. Now, as we read those uh, words of verse 9 just now, there'll be a number of you who will have thought, ha ha, the psalmist can't be talking about just Genesis 1 and 2 here. Because after creation, the waters did recover the earth as the Lord God judged the world with a flood in Genesis 6 to 8. Because first Adam and Eve and then all mankind followed suit and refused to accept the loving boundaries that God gave us. You see, verse 9 is referring to the Lord's promise of Genesis 9 verse 11. Genesis 9 verse 11. I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So verse 9 reminds us 
that not only is the Lord very great, but it also reminds us of our unimportance or our impotence, better put, and our insignificance and our rebellion as we try to take his place, as we set our boundaries for our lives. It reminds us just how misplaced and how dangerous our sin and rebellion is. You see, this is what happens when we forget who the Lord is. And it draws us back. It should be drawing you and I back to him for his mercy and grace tonight. Back to the Lord Jesus. Back to the one who took the judgment that you and I deserve upon the cross. So we need not. This then is just one piece of the Lord's very great work in his creation. As he sets all creation in its place. It reveals again, doesn't it, just how great he is. And it calls us to recognize his greatness and live within his loving boundaries. This is part of what it means to sing, how great is our God. But the boundaries that he sets means that we can enjoy life. We can enjoy his great work of sustaining all creation. Because as we'll note next, he isn't an absentee landlord who's there just to collect the rent and doesn't bother with the tenants or the property. No, he is the Lord who sustains all creation, verses 10 to 18. As we've seen already, so we see again in these verses. The Lord is the one who does everything. His work is so great, he sustains all of his creation. All creation, that includes you and I, is dependent upon him. Just look at these verses with me. Verse 10, he, again, just notice how he is the one who does everything. He makes the springs pour forth water to sustain life. Verse 11, for the wild animals. Verse 12, for the birds. Verse 13, he sends rain so that the earth is satisfied. Verse 14, he sustains cattle with grass and he gives us plants so that we can be sustained too. He wants us to enjoy life. Verse 15, so much so that he doesn't just give us bread and water, he gives us wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread that sustains his heart. Verse 16 and 17, he waters the trees so that they can be the homes to the birds. And verse 18, he gives them the high mountains to the wild goats and the crags to the conies. Always wondered what they were. Had to look them up on an internet. They're sort of across, I think, between a sort of a... They call them rock badgers, but they're more like rather large guinea pigs. I saw them once up on Table Mountain in South Africa. Helped me to appreciate just what they were and where they lived, high up on that mountain. But the point is, from all of these verses, is that all of creation, all of creation is sustained by the Lord. We are dependent on him. Yes, you and I can make bread or wine, and oil, but he gives us the raw materials to do all of that. We depend on him for everything. Everything that we eat or drink, from a glass of water to a cup of coffee, from a piece of toast to a roast dinner, from our gas and electric to cars and cosmetics, the computer or the mobile that we have, the houses and the money that we have, even the air that we breathe even now. Those things are all down to him. 
Again, he is the creator who sustains us. So if you're someone here tonight who's got lots, then you're never to think that you sustain yourself. Easy to fall into the trap. Easy to think that because you've got all the money and you've got the means to sustain yourself. But that's just another step, isn't it? In just making God less great than he is. And it leads us to pride and to rebellion. If, on the other hand, we have little, as I know folk here do and folk across in Gleadless Valley do, we're never to think that we have to take matters into our own hands because God has failed. Again, that's a step in making God less great than he is. It leads to self-dependence. It leads to pride. It leads to rebellion. And if ever we doubt this, let's just remember what Jesus said just after he'd fed 5,000 people with a packed lunch. John chapter 6, verse 27. He said this. Do not work for food that spoils. Hopefully it should come up there for you. Yeah, there you go. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. If you ever kept a loaf of bread as long as that one, you'll very quickly know that food spoils. A reminder, isn't it, that we depend on the Lord Jesus for physical and spiritual sustenance, and the spiritual is far more important. So once again, we see the very great work of the Lord God in creation. And it shows us, again, our total dependence on him and our need in every way for his work, physically and spiritually for us. How great is our God. It's easy to sing, isn't it? But do you really depend on him for everything? In life? Physically and spiritually? Well, the psalmist goes on and next we see in verses 19 to 23 that the Lord gives creation purpose. The picture in uh, verses 19 to 23 is once again, that shows us the greatness of the Lord by just giving us a glimpse of the fact that he's a bit like a conductor, conducting an orchestra. He gives them the part to play and then he conducts them. He gives them the purpose. At verse 19 and 20, He uses the sun and the moon to give the seasons and the days. So that even the lions know when to go and get their food from him. We often think that lions are self-dependent. They are dependent upon the Lord. And verse 23 reminds us too that he gives those things so that you and I can go about our purpose day by day. And once more we know that if we're honest... We can neither change the seasons nor the days, even though I guess most of us would want summer tomorrow. And it begs the question, doesn't it? Will you and I see our insignificance and will we see the greatness of our God? And will we seek to fulfill our purpose that he has given us? Just like the sun and the moon. He's given them their purpose and he gives us our purpose And once more, as we think about that, we realise that we do not live for the purpose that he gave us. The purpose he intended way back in Genesis 1 and 2. And we were reminded of in Colossians 1.16. Our purpose is in him, to glorify him. To enable creation to glorify him 
by living out his purpose for them. In John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus says that the work of each of us is this. It is to believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Again, Colossians 1.16 said that as well. We were created by him and for him. You see, belief starts here, doesn't it? With seeing and accepting the Lord Jesus for who he is. Seeing his greatness in giving us purpose. Purpose for his glory. Again, this is part of what it means to sing, how great is our God. And we sing that as we live out his purpose for us. A purpose which means that we live for him making him all that we are about all the time. His purposes, day by day. Well, the psalmist gives us uh, one more glimpse of the Lord's very great work as we draw this central section to a close in verses 24 to 30. The Lord gives life and life after death. Uh, Look around the world, look across the continents, verse 24. Look across the seas as well and the oceans, verse 25, and you'll see that the creation is teeming with life. So much so that we are still finding new species around the world. These are three of the new ones in the last year or two. Just reminds us just how great God's creation is. He brings life and we're still finding out about the life that he has given. And it's all down to him, verse 24. In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creation. Every creature made by him, every creature looking to him, even the vast Leviathan, verse 26. Verse 27, these all look to you to give them their food in the proper time. It seems a wonderful existence, doesn't it? Verse 28, when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. This is the good life. This is wonderful. But just as it seems wonderful, verse 29 and 30 reveal that all is not well. Reveals, verse 29, that the Lord has to hide his face from what is going on in the world. Has to hide his face from our sin and rebellion against him. And it also reminds us How terrifying that is. And when that happens, he takes away their breath. They die and they return to the dust. Death is the result of sin. Death was never the script for uh, for creation. But with sin came death. Cut us off from God, from our creator and sustainer. And yet, and yet in these verses, verse 30, we find hope of life after death. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. Just as the Holy Spirit breathed life into mankind in the beginning, so we turn to the Lord and as we turn to the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ and in his death on the cross for us, so we find life after death. Life after spiritual death, life after physical death. Uh, John chapter 6 verse 40 says this, Jesus says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, note that everyone who looks to the Son, and believes in him shall have eternal life, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. In Jesus, we can have life after death. The life after death that this psalmist is speaking of, he doesn't know how it necessarily will happen. Life back in relationship with God now and in eternity, eternal relationship with him. And then the end of verse 30 reminds us that as that happens, so creation itself will be renewed. Romans 8 verse 22. As we look around us, we know that we are powerless to achieve any of that for ourselves. And again, it begins to bring us, doesn't it, back to see how very great God is and to see his great work in creation. The one who sets the boundaries, the one who sustains us, the one who gives us purpose, the one who gives life and life after death. I can't do any of that. And nor can you, but he can and he wants to do that for you and for me. But will you let him do that by allowing him to be who he really is? Are you allowing this prescription of a new vision of who God is to open your eyes so that he can be your Lord and your God? Well, we're in the final straight now, verses 31 to 35. Once the psalmist has looked back over creation and the Lord's work in creation, he declares this. He declares that the Lord will have glory in creation, verses 31 to 35. He said that uh, creation will acknowledge the godness, if you like, of God. That's what the glory of God is. Seeing him for all that he is as God and all the attributes that he has as God. And this will happen as creation is all that it should be in God's eyes. As we see him for who he really is. So then, so then the Lord will rejoice. Verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice over his works or rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. The Almighty is so powerful, yet he is pleased as we live in right relationship with him. As creation is all that it should be and glorifies him. That's the heartbeat of the psalmist. And he's going to join in playing his part so that God receives all the honour and praise and glory that is due to him. So verse 33, he says, I will sing to the Lord all my life. All my life, I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. He knows that he, like each of us here tonight, is prone to sin. And he prays, therefore, that even his meditations, even his quiet time, would please the Lord. Here, then, is a picture, isn't it, of someone who is totally caught up in the Lord. He wants nothing to deny the Lord the glory that he deserves. Which is why he says, verse 35, but may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. He doesn't say that because he's being vindictive. He says that because he knows that as people do not praise him, as sinners do not praise him and fail to recognize and refuse to recognize who he is, God does not get the glory that he deserves. That's why he praises this, praise this. 
He does not want God to be robbed of the praise and honor and glory that he deserves. This is a prayer that recognizes the greatness of God in verse 32. It's a prayer that recognizes that the Lord will one day judge you and I. That the Lord will one day judge the wicked in death. And they will face a terrifying eternity without God, without anything that's good. And of course, that's exactly what they choose in this life. They choose to turn away from him. And so he hides his face from them. But it's also a prayer that will be answered in a very different way as sinners turn away from their rebellion, as they end their rebellion against him, as people like you and I see who the Lord really is and join the psalmist in giving God the glory that is due to him. As we sing, praise the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. And we do that by coming to him through the Lord Jesus Christ and his reconciling death on the cross. John 12, 32 says this, I, this is Jesus speaking, I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. That's what Jesus is looking forward to as he is crucified. The psalmist wouldn't have known and understood necessarily that that was what was going to happen, but we do and we have no excuse. This is how you and I are to respond through faith in his son who died on a cross for you and for me. His reconciling death for us. This then is a prescription for you and for me, for each of us. The very great Lord of creation wants us to join with him in bringing glory appropriately with the rest of his creation. That means you and me That means our families, our friends, the people we work with, the people we travel with on the bus, the people we're at uni with, people we're at college with. That, you see, is why a passion for life is so important. Such a key mission to be involved in, to bring people to so that they can meet the Lord Jesus for themselves. So as I close... This psalm that we've been looking at tonight is all about seeing the Lord for who he really is so that we, so that we give him the glory with the rest of creation. It reveals to us that the Lord is very great over all creation, that his works in creation are very great. He sets it in place. He sustains everything. He sustains you and I. He gives us purpose and he even gives us life out of death. But this is very personal, isn't it? Because we can't sit here and and see this vision of who the Lord is without responding to him. It confronts us with the reality of who the Lord really is. And it challenges us to make a decision here tonight, doesn't it? To give him the glory that is due to him, which he as God deserves. So will you take and use the prescription of Psalm 104? Today, is the day that you can make him your Lord. If you haven't done that already, do so tonight. Tonight is the day to begin singing, praise the Lord, O my soul. But if you have taken that step tonight, today is the day to take another look at who he really is, to make sure that you and I haven't lost sight of who he really is, so that we can join in 
with the psalmist and with the rest of creation in praising him for all that he is and so that we can be drawn closer into relationship with him rather than drifting further away as we lose sight of him more and more. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for meeting us in your word tonight, for opening our eyes to who you are, for renewing our vision of who you are. Please, in your mercy, forgive us for the ways that we've not seen you as you are. And when we have, we've not accepted you for who you are. Please, by your spirit, draw us to faith in yourself and deeper into faith in yourself. Please be at work in each of us in our hearts that we may grow deeper in our relationship with you and may bring you the praise and glory that you deserve day by day, moment by moment so that the glory will be yours. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord. Amen.